So hi, and welcome to, to the Law Life Coach podcast. Uh, we're here um, celebrating innovators who are making the law a healthier and happier place to practice. And joining us today is John Eno, the Chief Diversity Officer at Reed Smith. Um, John, if you Google his name, has uh, countless awards. Thank you so much for joining us, John, by the way. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure. Um, and, you know, you've got all these amazing metrics that, that uh, you've helped to change, increasing the number of women, increasing the diversity. But I think the metric that, that's the most interesting to me is the fact that you've decreased the attrition rate of diversity lawyers from, um, from 21 to 11%. You know, it's one thing to, um, to attract talent, it's a whole nother thing to retain talent. Can you talk just a little bit about some of the practices that you've put in place to create that kind of a culture? Wow, uh, well, thanks. For, first, first of all, thanks for having me on, on the podcast. It's great to uh, be able to share, um, you know, a big part at Reed Smith that I, um, uh, the philosophy that, that I have or we have is that we really want to share our best practices, share what people are doing in this space. Um, you know, I appreciate that a little bit that people can tendency to be thinking that this is proprietary, um, that, uh, you know, do I really want to share our trade secrets? But uh, I've kind of taken our, our, our approach has really been taking it a completely opposite view. Um, this isn't like we're working with competitors. You know, the other law firms aren't really competitors. We're all in this endeavor together. So, um, you know, whether we're part of organizations or speaking on panels and all the rest, um, I'm always happy to share what we're doing and help it inspires others uh, to uh, go back to their management and say, yes, see, this is something that we need to do. Um, and in, inspired by competition, frankly, because they might say, hey, Reed Smith is doing this. Maybe we should, we should be doing it as well. Uh, but it's really a philosophy that we have. And then for that reason, we publish um, an annual report um, that's online. Uh, we distribute it. It, it. We hope as many people as possible will read it and be inspired by some of the things we're doing. And frankly, don't hold back on, in terms of uh, the, the discussing the things that we are doing. Happy to share. So um, with that intro long introduction, um, uh, Brooke, I, I, in terms of um, reducing attrition, yeah, you're absolutely right that um, you know it's it's easy or not, it's easier to uh, recruit diverse talent. The real hard work is how do you keep them there. Um, so it's there's no literally there's no one magic bullet. There's not one program um, that works. It, it's just a combination of a lot of lot of things uh, that go into that. So you know I can start first of all just from from the top in terms of how we started it and then how we started. Um, some of the, some of the programs we've we've gone through. That's Sounds it. like a good place to start. So the the first thing we did literally was uh, create scorecards and and try to gather that data. Um, when I came in three and a half years ago or so into this role, um, you know, I started asking the questions. Okay, so what percentage of our organization is um, women or or diverse or and how many uh, Black African Americans do we have? How many LGBT uh, individuals do we have? Um, and it was a really tough effort to get that data. So, you know, that was a big push to say, look, we need to have this data. We need to have it in real time. We can pull it at any time. And, in, in, and beyond that, I want to start sharing it with our leadership. So uh, one of the first things we did was to create these scorecards or dashboards that we circulate to, you know, not only the, the senior leadership, but every you know, office managing partner, every practice group leader um, gets that data. 
And over time, we, we, we discovered what works in terms of presenting that data. So it, as you can imagine, with dashboards and the like, you have to have very digestible data um, that people can look at it in, 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 in quickly. Uh, but um, we, we managed to make it now quarterly and um, literally ranking um, the, the, the offices and ranking the groups. And you know that lawyers are um, A-type personalities and they never like to finish um, last or look bad in, in front of their peers. And so um, what I do on a quarterly basis is I publish that uh, diversity rankings showing the progress, uh, both at this current snapshot as well as trends. So year over year, um, you know, progress or lack of progress, um, you know, and ranking every one of our um, practice groups and in our offices, well, at least in the US, our offices. Um, and this is also, um, we were fortunate that at around the same time, um, our management bonus plan um, came out and historically, you know, bonuses were very just discretionary, but we put a lot of thought in terms of the metrics that would be go around in terms of, of, of awarding bonuses um, to management. And so, you know, whether you're entitled to a 50%, a 75% or 100% of the bonus that depended upon meeting a lot of the metrics. And fortunately, one of the you know, metrics is your performance in terms of diversity inclusion. And before you would see, um, you know, in your, I'm sure all, many organizations and law firms have, um, you know, self-evaluations. And so the first achievement was to have, um, how are, you know, what have you done to contribute to diversity inclusion and advance our diversity inclusion efforts is a question. But it was also always a very open-ended question for people in management. Now, not only could you say, well, I'm committed to this, I help people, you know, blah, blah, blah. We can actually point to your metrics and see how you've actually progressed and, and measuring not only recruiting, like you're saying, measuring not only your current headcount, but measuring the attrition and promotion. So, you know, getting leadership involved in that on that level, I think, was one of the first things that we did. Um, there's a lot more there, so just depending on how much time you have, there's there's a lot of lot of programs that you'd want to put in place uh, to make sure that people feel engaged, feel feel part of something, um, feel like there's a, there's there's hope for you at the at the law firm. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. Gathering the data as a first step, and then making it matter in in terms of you know having a stake in the game for a lot of these leaders i think that makes a lot of sense as a place to start especially at um, a larger law firm now in, in addition we we have a lot of boutique law firms that are interested in you know attracting diverse talent and also re retaining that talent they might not have um, someone like you in a position that's focused exclusively on diversity, but would you have any tips or advice for somebody at a smaller firm, a leader that wants to encourage um, inclusion and, and diversity and kind of create a culture that allows for, um, for people to stay? Well, you hit it on the head uh, in, in terms of culture, because um, ultimately, you know, why do people um, want to be in law firms? Why do they stay in law firms? number of reasons um, obviously compensation you know getting paid uh, it obviously helps um, the fact that the, the ability to get promoted people really want to know that there's there's the opportunity to advance um, and, uh, and and having a culture where people feel you know comfortable um, with where they are or feel included or valued so when you talk about all three of those aspects it's you know whether it's a large firm or a small firm, you know, culture is very important. And so if you have a culture where people really don't feel like they can um, 
show up and, and be themselves and, 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 and express themselves, you know, in, 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 a, in a positive way that, you know, is, is, um, is be their authentic selves is very important. So we certainly try to stress the importance of diversity, meaning everyone's diversity, no matter what your background, you're, um, you're, you're welcome. Um, so that, you know, that's certainly the important part of culture. Um, you know, uh, the, the ability to feel like you have a, a future there, that's why it's so important for role models and for people in, in more senior roles to emulate the kind of behavior and saying, okay, you know, this is something that we, the kind of behavior we want to see. And as you would start to promote, say, more women or um, diverse individuals to, you know, higher positions or to leadership positions, um, then, or grooming people, um, that gives people a sense of, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a future here. And lastly, you know, a big thing is around compensation. And, um, you know, we do a lot of work just to make sure that, um, you know, the, the, the opportunities that are presented to our lawyers, um, everyone has an, should have an equal opportunity and not, you know, the people that hang around the same country club or, some, you know, some of the people that have some of the same interests. And, you know, naturally, you know, people all, they, they all graduate law school. They all come, you know, into the profession uh, wanting to work hard, eager to, you know, to succeed. But as you see, as, you know, careers start to, to stretch out, that there starts to be a disparity, whether it's by gender or by, um, you know, ethnicity, diversity, sexual orientation. And ultimately that, you know, comes from, you know, just the opportunities and are people given the right opportunities or given the mentorship opportunities to be trained and learned how to do all those things. So um, it's, it's, it, 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 a little bit, it, it, it's very, having to be very intentional around these topics and not just kind of the natural, natural way, natural or Darwinianism or, or something like that. Because the, the fact of the matter is that just we're, as humans, we tend to gravitate around things that we feel comfortable with. And so we tend to gravitate around people that we feel comfortable with. Um, so a big saying in the diversity circles is you need to become comfortable being uncomfortable because that ultimately will lead to um, you know, more success in creating the culture that you want to foster more diverse um, and inclusive environments. I love that statement, be comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, you mentioned recently in a podcast of yours, you, you have a podcast, Inclusivity Included. Yeah, that Inclusivity Included, powerful personal stories. So thanks for the plug. Yeah, Just look it up on Google. It's Google a fantastic or, podcast. But recently, one of the things you were mentioning, because um, right now, you know, we're in a period of uh, the 2020 quarantine, and um, it's, it's a time of tough communication. And one of the things, if, if you can elaborate a little bit around how leaders can make sure that um, everyone is feeling like they um, are, are a part of the team. Well, yeah, we're, we're just, it's, it's just such a tragedy. It's, it's so, you know, just when you listen to the news or you see the, see the reports of just, you know, how people are suffering so much. Um, and I guess the, um, one thing that we, you know, I think a lot of leaders uh, hopefully understand um, is that, you know, one one size does not fit all. One one solution does not uh, work for everyone, um, and so you know, just that's the whole concept of um, inclusivity and uh, you know, valuing diversity is understanding that um, people react differently to things. People are in different situations. There's a lot of variety in terms of um, what what's going on right now. 
And, um, you know, I just, for example, this may not be particular to the law firm setting specifically, but, you know, here in Los Angeles, for example, we all have to wear masks whenever we go out in public. I saw that Beverly Hills is requiring that you, even if you go on a walk, you know, in your neighborhood, you're required to wear a mask. Well, you know, you've seen some of the reports is that that's tough actually for some, um, for some people. Um, I was talking to a colleague um, that uh, from back East, um, she said that um, in Camden, New Jersey, for example, um, before the before we all went on um, uh, into lockdown, um, they would refuse to um, uh, and restaurants would refuse to serve customers that wore a mask. Um, and so, just the stigma around wearing a mask is you know is, is tough for people. Um, you know, example here in Los Angeles is the, you know, the, the gangs, there's the classic Bloods and the Crips who were red and black. And so, you know, you have to just think of it, are you going to wear a red bandana and what does that mean? And so there's a lot of um, you know, sensitivity around that. I just was on a podcast on a webinar yesterday for the National Organizations for Disability. We're talking about some of the challenges that some of the disabled folks have. And one of them was that um, I think it was Target. It, it, it's, it's really sensitive to their employees that are um, uh, uh, hearing impaired um, or deaf. And so those that rely on uh, lip reading. And so if you're a cashier or someone like that um, in, 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 in a store, and if you're you know, having to wear a mask and your customers are wearing masks, how are you going to understand what they're saying, right? So you have to be very um, sensitive to you know, people's individual um, circumstances. So you know, a lot that leaders can do to be um, uh, inclusive. I, I think the um, fundamental point that I like to make is that, um, that the, the, the DNI res response or the DNI offices and organizations or the people that you know, really care about um, inclusion have to be part of the decision-making um, in terms of your response. Um, I saw a recent article or something along those lines um, from uh, either it was law360orlaw.com and it talked about you know, responses that um, law firms need to do in terms of you know, responding to the, uh, the pandemic. And it have all the things that you would kind of expect. This is HR, insurance policies, um, financial, monitoring your financial um, condition um, and all the like. But what I was really disappointed was that there wasn't anything in there in terms of the role of diversity and inclusion. And so I thought it was very short-sighted for, um, for the article not to really talk about the, the value of diversity and inclusion. It did talk about talent and um, you know, morale and retention of talent, but not in the context of um, the importance of diversity and inclusion. And um, as I said, so I was a little disappointed to see that because certainly um, as we, as, as I've always preached in terms of the role of diversity and inclusion in organizations is it has to be aligned with the, um, the, key, um, the key, object, key goals of the organization. And when people in leadership can see the, the, the value and the role that diversity and inclusion plays in all your you know, key, um, key goals, then it becomes a natural part of the, of the planning process, or in this case, the response um, to the crisis. So um, if you put your, if you have your DNI leadership involved in some of the planning, um, then it makes, it hopefully ensures that the um, responses and the activities you're doing also has that lens or also has that filter around, you know, how is this impacting 
inclusivity or how is this, you know, making sure that we are inclusive and, and conscious of all of our diversity and all the responses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's right on point. Um, and I think also one of the things that you mentioned in the podcast, a simple, a simple practical thing that, you know, managers or leaders can do is to make sure, you know, in times like this, that you're not just reaching out to those people that you already have a close relationship or the, the phone calls that are easy, but also just making sure that every member of the team feels touched um, and communicated with. I thought that was really, really wise. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and you can think of whether it's your law firm or an organization, um, you know, you go, it, it's natural. People have their go-to people, right? And so when, when the leaders kind of get together and they, they talk to their go-to people, uh, and, but, you know, and, and, and at Reed Smith, I think our teams have been very good. I've heard a number of, whether it's practice groups or client teams, that the, um, the virtual meetings and, and, and the like that they've been having, they really in, intentionally tried to make sure that Everyone is 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 involved and in, uh, and uh, you know finding out how people are doing because as I said at the outset, you know people react differently to uh, to different situations um, and um, you know some people are overwhelmed because they have um, small kids at home or, el or or elderly parents that they're caring for as well as trying to balance all their um, all their, um, uh, their work assignments. Um, on this call yesterday with the National Organization of Disability, we talked about. Um, uh, parents with autistic kids and um, the kids that uh, normally are able to, you know, in, in have um, a lot of special attention, special needs at school. Now that they're not in school, um, you know, it's not like some other kids may be do online learning. They may have some more challenges. So not only do these parents have, um, you know, to deal with their normal workload and the like, but they're also, you know, working with um, the, the, the child care or the, or the elder care that they have to work with. On the other hand, you have people that are living by themselves and very, feeling very isolated. Um, and, uh, you know, how do you make sure you're reaching out to them? Um, another thing I, I heard recently was that, um, you know, we're, we're so much fans of these Zoom or virtual, um, you know, uh, uh, online, you know, calls and the rest where we're seeing each other. Um, some people are introverted and some people don't want people inside their home or people don't want to be seen in this way. So um, it's important to, you know, make sure that we're reaching those people, but may maybe in a way that makes them, you know, uh, feel comfortable and not pressured. Um, you know, they, we have, we've seen a lot of these virtual copies or virtual happy hours, virtual meet, meetups. And um, the question is, is this mandatory? Because as much as you want to reach people, some people may feel like, I'm uh, not really comfortable um, doing that. So it's, it's, it's important to try to reach everyone, but also be respectful and understanding their own um, situation as well. Mm -hmm. Very good point. And I think that's a hallmark of good leadership is the flexibility that one has to have in terms of their style, right? It's, it's, it's up to the leader to adapt to, um, to the style of, of those that are they're working with. No, I, 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 absolutely right. It's the, the, the leaders that are able to know their team and engage their team and have their team feel um, really uh, a part, you know, willing to follow that leader 
and it's not um, from the uh, you know playing favorites. It's not from the uh, you know mark, barking out orders, right? It's it's how to really engage people. Um, so there's a you know, really effective tool that um, you know as you know I'm, I'm also a professional coach and executive coach and coaching um, for leadership is to do not only an assessment of how you're doing uh, but uh, you feel you're doing but have your team around you do a 360 assessment of, of you and so to have uh, people you know uh, point out your blind spots and you may not realize that you what you're doing so it's uh, you know the, those leaders that are willing to look at themselves and take a hard look at themselves are the ones that are always um, improving, um, which is, is always a great, great, great um, thing to have, a great quality. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to coaching, I also do some recruiting. And I've noticed that with some, uh, especially with smaller firms, sometimes a leader will, it, it's not just like race, sex, and uh, you know, sexual preference. But a leader will sometimes um, want a carbon copy of themselves. They'll, you know, they'll they'll want a, a mini me um, and a firm of mini me's. And uh, looking at not only diversity in terms of kind of like those physical metrics, but also thinking about diversity in other ways, such as diversity of personality, diversity of strengths. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, it, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm sure everyone has seen all the literature and then the research about the the power of diversity, right? And that the um, um, you know the failures of organizations that um, don't embrace diversity because you know diverse teams that are more diverse that bring more diverse experiences, um, outlooks, um, backgrounds. Uh, have been proven to you know, to be more um, more productive. Um, and, you know, some of the classic examples you talked about is like um, Boeing by having um, kind of a groupthink mentality. Is why did the next 737s fail? Um, and so, kind of the the autopsy of of some of that is that they didn't have a team that was diverse enough to kind of um, point out some of the the, the flaws that um, that that um, you know came out of that. So, you know, it, it's it's as simple as you know. And the scientists will will tell you that um, it's important to make sure you have diversity of thought and not groupthink, uh, because um, you know it, you, you, it, you know where does innovation come from? Um, it comes from people with with different ideas and, and backgrounds, um, experiences, and if everybody is a is a clone uh, of the leader. You know who's going to stand up to the leader and say, "I don't think that's a good idea." Well, we all think it's a great idea, and, and you might just have this again huge blind spot, uh, and not really, you know, coming up with with, with the best um, results or or best outcomes um, for the organization. So, um, you know, it, that, it goes back to the point that we said earlier: is that you know, people if they just want to be around people that that they um, that they you know they 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 feel is a good fit. It's a, it's a word we don't like using in the diversity circles or try to fight against is the word fit or the, um, you know, he reminds me of me when, uh, when I was uh, his age um, is, 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 could be a fatal flaw because, um, you know, that's, uh, that, that's, that's really not going to, you know, result in, in, in true diverse um, thinking. I love that story. That's wonderful. Well, it's such a treat to talk to you, John. Thank you so much for being on the show. Can you let uh, our listeners know how to find you? Oh, absolutely. Um, so just go to um, reedsmith.com and you can just Google me. Um, there's a number of ways to, to get in touch with me. I'm, um, I have a number of followers on LinkedIn. So, um, you know, we can connect that way. 
um, you know, it's, it, it, it's easy to get a hold of me. Um, Brooke, I just wanted to leave the, um, your audience with just one thought that I've been telling our team a lot um, during this uh, crisis um, is that, um, you know, uh, we're, we're, we will get through this, right? There will be a time when um, we'll be, quote, back to normal. Um, I appreciate that culture might change a little bit. I mean, you know, I may not be quick to shake someone's hand as quickly as I, we're used to. Um, but, you know, we will be back to, um, back to normal at some point. And so the, 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 the charge that I, I would give to, to everyone at this point is that how will you be remembered? How will you and your organization be remembered when the dust settles, right? When, um, when, uh, when we're all back to normal and looking back at how you handled yourself and your organization during this crisis will be you know, remembered a long time after we're, we're, we get back. So here's an opportunity. We tell our, our, our folks that Reed Smith this all the time is that you know, when, when we're back to normal and, and people start to, to talk about what did Reed Smith do uh, during that and what did it embody in terms and say in terms of our, our culture, um, because that hopefully will, will be a reputation that you know, will, will live a lot longer uh, than this virus. Um, and so we, um, uh, we, we, I really implore people to think about as you're taking actions now. And I appreciate there's going to be some difficult decisions that need to be made if we head into a recession and the like. But the way you, you know, treat people, the way you, you handle things, you know, thinking inclusively as well. And, um, you know, if you talk about the importance and power of diversity and, you're, and you don't live it uh, in times like these, um, then that's how you'll be remembered. But you also have an opportunity to be remembered in a very, very positive way. Such a good point, John. And it, it, it reminds me of a few leaders I've spoken to at smaller firms that have faced tough, difficult financial decisions. And in, in thinking about the culture and like you said, the way they want to be remembered, they decided to go to their teams and, and give them the choice of, you know, do we all want to take a little bit of a cut and go through a little bit of a hard time here all together? Or do we want this all to be on one or two people? And everyone that's taken that thought and that theory to their team said, we'd all like to suffer a little than have one person suffer a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely. We're, we're our, our, our team at Reed Smith, so um, we had the exact same um, response. It's that uh, we'll all take, um, whether it's a freeze in salary or, 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 or deferrals in some, in some you know, partner draws and the like, it's, it's much better to do that than to um, have to make the, you know, the cuts of losing some of the you know, really great people that we have. Yeah. Well, thanks again for being on the show. And to our listeners, thanks for listening. And please subscribe to the Wallet Coach podcast. Yeah. Thanks.